Dotnet Rocks episode 823 with guest Steve Evans. Recorded live Wednesday, November 7th, 2012. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklins.net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering Gesture Pack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at gesturepak.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Hey, Orlando, it's .NET Rocks! Yes, sir. I want to get a picture of you going crazy. Nice. A picture on this side. All right, now I have proof. Now I have visible proof, not just auditory proof. We um, have I'm, a crowd. When I, we've had a few comments from people say, I just about crashed my car <laughs> when the show starts and suddenly goes, hey, Orlando. <laughs> well, we're here at City Hall in Orlando, Florida. Woo! And Steve Evans is here. Awesome, awesome, awesome. But before we bring him on, we have a little business to do. All right, sir. Let's roll the music for Better Know Framework. All right, what do you got? I discovered all by myself tonight a brand new tool. Oh. Yeah. It's called Log Parser Lizard. (laughs) (laughs) Log Parser Wizard? Lizard. And we're laughing because Steve Evans just did a great demo using Log Parser Lizard. And here to explain what it is, which is at tinyurl.com slash loglizard, is Steve Evans. So Log Parser. So we have to back up. First, there's Log Parser. Log Parser is a free tool from Microsoft. It's a command line tool that allows you to, among other things, parse your IIS logs. Right. So your IIS logs are just these text files that are almost impossible to read. Um, well, you can read them by, by hand, you really but can't it's really painful. Any information without some kind of tool. Right. So log parser, the command line tool, allows you to, from the command line, do SQL-like queries against your IIS logs. Mm-hmm. So for ex- in the, tonight, I did, you know, what's your most common 500? So right. what URL... Uh, returns a 500 the most often. Right, which so is that can be server. really, really interesting. Sure. Or uh, what what page has the the time taken is the highest average? So yes. basically, what's your slowest page? Right. And you can parse this over. Uh, you can parse this over gigs of of logs, which which right. would be you know depending on the size of your site, either a day's worth or or weeks worth uh, of time, and get this over a very large, long scale. So basis. you say you know select whatever from. Yeah, set exactly. of logs or times or whatever you do. Yeah, so it's it's just like SQL. It's select whatever you want to select from, but instead of a table, you're, it's from a set of log files right. or a log file. Yeah. And then you can do where clauses, you can do group bys, you can do orders, you can do averages. Um, you know, just all, a lot of the SQL-like stuff you can do yeah. in SQL Server. Log parser lizard is just a GUI wrapper around log parser. Yeah. So it depends. Sometimes I just use the command line if it's something I'm going to automate. But log right. parser lizard, especially when you're dem, you know, you're showing it off. It's a, it's it's like SQL management studio. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. You can write SQL from the command line, and that works. Mm-hmm. Or you can use SQL management studio. And this log thing parser is lizard not, is the same same and idea. It's not like moving that into a queryable format. It's actually traversing all those text files and indexing them on the fly and. So log parser it? has you have you have the option of saying I want to import this log file into SQL. Oh, you can, and it will put it in a SQL table, and then you can do everything you can do with SQL against wow. it. Wow, great! Or you can just query against the the text files on your hard drive, okay. and it's you know it's incredibly fast. If you're gonna if you're gonna want to uh, query over a year's worth of data on a sure. big site, sure. You probably want to dump it into SQL and then do you know your really heavy processing. Right. If you just want to see yesterday, what was my most most common five hundred? Mm. You can do it. You can do it from a little wimpy machine. It will work. Now, it it a, will be reasonable performance. Is there an API? Like, could I write a web server that has a backend that you know maybe is just for admin use, where I could go in and actually expose that data through a through a page? Uh, as as far as I know, there's not an API. Log parser is an, a command line executable. Right. You could shell out. So you out could, yeah, you could shell CGI out. You could do all whatever. that, but it, it would be somewhat painful to do 
in that format. Yeah. If that's what you want to do, you probably want to write a scheduled task to sure. take your log files, shove Put it in a, in a SQL, SQL server, and then, and write, then do yeah. whatever you want to do from there. That's awesome, Steve. Thanks for that tip. Fantastic. Well, that's it. Log find, Carl. Laser. Yeah, I, I'm very proud of myself. <laughs> Richard, who's talking to us? I grabbed a comment off show 809, which is the one we did on web performance at DevReach. We had Kent and Steve and Paul on that show, if you recall. Yep. And this comment comes from Mark Mitchell, who says, The discussions you guys have just rock. My favorite podcasts are always from your show. This particular episode got into the idea of A-B testing, where the example was a percentage of the live website traffic being sent to new code to compare the performance between the two, which is risky, as noted. However, it is what Google's been doing with the Speedy Protocol. That's S-P-D-Y. And you can look at the Speedy Protocol if you go to chromium.org slash speedy, S-P-D-Y. Um, with the Chrome browser. There was a talk given about the Speedy Protocol, a a new HTTP protocol over HTTPS that was given in December 2011, and I'll send the link up on the site so you can take a look at this, where they described how they switched the search to use the Speedy Protocol and got a 25% improvement in result search speed. They did this with live traffic coming to their site with their browser, and we did talk about Speedy before with Brad Abrams, if you recall. That's right. Uh, as soon as I heard about the A-B testing idea, I immediately thought of the speedy testing talk and how practical an idea it seemed when discussed in your panel. Uh, great show, guys. Thanks a lot. And that's from Mark Mitchell. Um, what can you say? You know, the interesting thing is the HTTP protocol, which is still 1.1, is ancient. It's from the 90s. And it's actually a major stumbling block for web performance long term. And one of the proposals for HTTP 2.0 is speedy. So, they're, they're, you know, people are building and testing things. That's, you know, Google's doing it, too, just as much as Microsoft is to try and solve these kinds of problems. So, Mark, thank you so much for your comment, and we will get a .NET Rocks mug out to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, just write a comment on the website at .NETrocks.com. And before we go any further, I need to tell you that Pluralsight offers comprehensive developer training online. They have over 300 hardcore developer courses uh, authored by industry professionals, MVPs, and people such as appear on this show. And they offer a free trial, giving you 200 minutes of access to their library for 10 days. Uh, topics include anything from the Microsoft stack plus Java, HTML5, CSS, uh, just about anything you can think of, including... I, I, so I'm on Pluralsight. Hmm. I have a couple courses on there. What are they? Uh, so the two courses I currently have, one is IIS for developers. Yep. So the presentation I did that no one on the radio will hear, but mm-hmm. uh, that's a small section of, of what I do in my IIS for developers course. Awesome. Um, which is just, you know, what do developers need to know about IIS? And the same for networking, networking for developers. So how, you know, you as a developer, I can't get to my web server, why not? Can't um, say enough good things about Pluralsight. It's uh, it's an amazing thing. Uh, subscriptions start at just $29 a month. Go to Pluralsight.com today. And with that, let me formally introduce Steve Evans. He has worked in the IT field for over 14 years, specializing in Microsoft technologies. He has consulted for small businesses on their IT infrastructure needs, as well as worked for larger companies as a systems engineer. Steve has been a recipient of the Microsoft Most Valuable Professional Award for the past three years and is a technical speaker at various industry events. You can follow him on Twitter at at SCEvans. S-C-E-V-A-N-S. Welcome back, Steve Evans. Thank you. What I always like about talking to you is I always get practical advice, and usually it's stuff that I hadn't seen before. So it's great. I love I love that because, you know, Richard is sort of, sort of a, a DevOps guy in, in other companies, I'm a DevOps, I'm a no-ops guy because I basically run all the infrastructure for the stuff that we do. And it's very small, but still you have to know what IP addresses are and DNS is and you have to know how to manage those things. So I'm, I'm very, I always I learn a lot when I listen to Great. it. Great. Yeah, no, I'm definitely, a, I'm not smart enough to do the really uh, cutting edge stuff. I got to do the basics, the one-on-one stuff. <laughs> you know, the, why can't I get to my web server? How right. do I configure IIS? But the thing is, I think that gap between development and IT is 
you know, just learning as a developer, learning a little bit about IT or as, as a, you know, IT person myself, knowing a little bit about development, mm. it, you know, makes me a much better, in my case, it makes me a much better systems guy. Well, and I think if a developer knows something about IT, it makes them a much better developer. I think even with the stuff that you talk about for developers, a developer could find their way around, you know, the cloud, for example, not knowing, not having the infrastructure knowledge, but they don't need the infrastructure knowledge. They just need the configuration knowledge and the management knowledge. And that's usually just using an app. But you're right. It's, you know, learning of DNS and how that works and, and, and TTLs and trace routes and, and all of those little things. Right. Uh, you can, you can actually do it yourself as right, a developer right. without an IT, without an IT uh, person. I don't know how that makes you feel as an IT person. Now we don't need you, but. Uh, oh. We need you to tell us how to do your job. Yeah, I'm not worried sure. about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what yeah. will I do when you guys aren't around to tell me how to do my I job? Know. I know. It's, uh, no. So I, I'm not worried about, you know, I, I'm not worried about the cloud taking my job away. I'm not worried about developers knowing how to do my job and taking it away because, you know, my, my skill set is not creating new users. It's not clicking next, next, next. Yeah. It's, it's enabling business. Yeah. So uh, that goes well beyond, you know, knowing how a DNS query works. Yeah, yeah. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. Hey, can you ever have too many free tools to complement your development skills? I didn't think so. So our friends at Telerik are giving you now more than 30 free products for application development, automated testing, agile project management, and content management. And we're talking free-free. Not a trial, not a demo, but free, complete products supported by a community of over 440,000 developers at Telerik Forums. From free ASP.NET AJAX, ASP.NET MVC, and Silverlight controls, to the free ORM solution and automated testing framework, to free agile management tools and content management systems, all of these and more are available to you for immediate download at Telerik.com slash free stuff. Most of the free products can be used for commercial purposes and give you access to supplemental support resources such as documentation and forms. Go to Telerik.com slash free stuff now and take full advantage of the available free of charge products. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. When it comes to trying to get better at this DevOps side of things, what are the pieces, you know, as, as an IT guy, what are you pushing on development for? What does, what can development do for you? So I think that depends. Uh, Richard and I were talking, I'm sorry, Carl and I were talking last night we're about, interchangeable. It's okay. Yeah, yeah I understand. <laughs> uh, and, you know, he was saying, you know, we were talking about DevOps. And he's like, yeah, you know, doing DNS entries. Mm-hmm. You know, he puts in the DevOps category. Because well, it's sort for of him, in the IT category for that yeah, side of my brain. But, but the, the thing is, for you, it is. That's yeah. something that it's, it's in your business. There's yeah. a gap between IT and development. And there's mm-hmm. a really big gap because there is no IT right. department. It's no ops. It's no ops. Yeah. Um, so at a at, at your standard business in this country, the gap between development and IT is things like automating the deployment of the website mm-hmm. or who's who's going to configure, how are you going to configure IIS? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then there's a select few organizations that we talk about and we think are really cool and sexy, but there's very few of them. The, the flickers that deploy their site 10 times a day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Most people are still trying to figure out how to deploy their site one time a quarter. Mm-hmm. Right. Or uh, at all. <laughs> and, and part of it is that they do it so rarely, they never get a chance to get good at it. Absolutely. And, and so, you know, what is DevOps? What is, you know, what what are the important things for an organization to do to make DevOps work mm-hmm. or, or to start in this DevOps, this concept of DevOps? It's whatever's the most painful thing for your organization. Sure. For some organizations, that's going to be, for a very select few organizations, organizations but for some of them, it's going to be, you know, how do I auto scale my website? Mm-hmm. How do I scale up and scale down instances as my load increases and decreases over the course of a week? Yeah. For the average organization, it's, you know, who's, who's going to troubleshoot IIS when it has a problem? Right. It really, you know, what are the, what are the constraints on operations that the developers need to know about when they make decisions? Um, is another place where those things, those worlds collide. Yeah. Um, you know, and just understanding, just being able to work together. Right. You, you know, I can't give you a list of what are the constraints that developers need to know about for an IT organization, because it depends on that but IT organization. But any particular project, the developer should know what those constraints are. 
Yeah, I mean, engaging. Um, I was just working with an organizational consultant. It's the the company I work for is is brought in this organizational consultant, and he introduced this idea of you have customers, you have partners, and you have competitors, mm-hmm. and someone can be the same, can be all three of those at mm-hmm. various times. And I was thinking about you know how IT interacts with development and vice versa. So often, uh, IT sees development as a customers of theirs, not mm-hmm. as a partner. Mm-hmm. And development sees IT as they're a customer of IT, not as a partner. Mm-hmm. Um, I, we recently ran into an issue where there was a performance problem with with a website, mm-hmm. with a with a web service, and it would have been very easy to say like, "Well, the system's healthy, CPUs are healthy, right. networks healthy," and just leave it there. Yep. But what, I, what, I you mean, your them. implication there is your code clearly sucks. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, it usually does. <laughs> but, and so in this case, it ended up being a code issue. Right. Mm-hmm. But, but being able to cross over onto the dev side a little bit mm-hmm. allowed us as an organization, as a business, to fix the problem faster and start making money again faster. And that's what's really important. Yeah. And the development guys being able to cross over to the operation side just a little bit. I'm not saying you need to know how to run Hyper-V or how to do disaster recovery, mm-hmm. but just being able to cross over a little bit and be able to understand, oh, maybe I can't get to my website because I have a DNS record that's recently changed right. and my cache is stale. Yep. Right. And just understanding that kind of stuff that's even allows you to troubleshoot, allows you to understand, oh, we're going to do this website deployment and I need to under- understand these IP, underlying pieces. IP config flush DN- slash flush DNS. From an elevated command prompt. Right. Absolutely. I don't understand why it has to be from an elevated command prompt, but it does. Yeah. You don't just want anybody flushing your DNS. Goodness <laughs> knows. I, I actually think the bigger one of the suite of things you were showing there was log parser. Was as an IT person being able to say, here's the production log file that has the problems in it. You, you should be able to look at this. Mm. You know, here's the evidence of the truth of what actually went wrong with the site this Saturday. You know, this is the the, the fingerprint here, and and they have some chance of doing of being part of that analysis process. Yeah, if there's an IT pro listening, or, or I guess. For a developer, just ask your IT pro. If you go to them and say, hey, could you give me admin rights to the web server? Depending on your organization, that might not go over well. No, and it, but if they say, hey, or, or if you say, hey, I want read-only access to a, a share that contains the IIS logs, right, right. much more likely for me to say yes. For yeah. sure. Or even better, go to them and say, hey, I want to be able to parse the log data. Can right. you help me? Can you help How me? can we enable that? Mm-hmm. Uh, you come to an IT person with uh, a... Not not with a solution, but with a request. Right, a, right. Here's what I'm trying to accomplish. What's the best way we can accomplish that? Right. Sure. Even if you know in your head what the right solution is. Or you think is, there or, is, because he may already have a plan in place. Yeah, so you you know, might, there's more than one to do, way to do that. And I love that you started with, can I have admin rights too? Which <laughs> just is a... No. Start with no. But the other thing is, you don't want them. You don't want them. You yeah, really yeah. don't. Because once you have them, it could be your fault. You're yes. blamable. Right? Yes, You're right. now culpable in that. You don't want administrative privileges to any production servers. It's I don't the, either. No, nobody does, <laughs> actually. It almost reminds me of when, remember Microsoft said they would release the Windows source code right. for any MVP, I think it was, that requested it. And I thought to myself, yeah, I'd like this. No. No, I really, really wouldn't. Don't I really don't want to see the <laughs> right, right. source code. Yeah. No, the and, and I know there's certain MVPs that, you know, I hear them talk about and they're like, oh, yeah, I learned about X because I was looking through the source code. And it's like, that's awesome. But you just took on a lot of responsibility. You really did. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, why do you want to know that? And, and But you get back to this idea of the log files are somewhere, right? They, they, they typically don't just stay on the web server. They get packaged up and stored off somewhere to be used as evidence against you and you know you want access to that yeah because that's the store that limits your liability and, and but you do want access to the truth what happened on the server right welcome exactly. to how to cover your ass <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh but, but I, I, I call them iq tests anytime we have a conversation between development and operations we put them in a room which try and make to stop it from being adversarial we have this, we are each going to educate the other. There's going to be an IQ test by the end of this. So there's stuff that dev knows that ops needs to know about. And there's stuff that ops knows that dev needs to know about. And if you don't pass that information back and forth, and you don't know what it is either. No. You know, you just got to walk through it. The best reaction I've ever gotten was walking a set of ops guys that were new to ASP.NET through the uh, web config file. Yes. Right, and they were all well and fine with app settings, and so forth. That wasn't a big deal. We, we they saw the strings for connection strings. They were very happy those were there. So if we change those, and we could actually change the point of database. That's mm-hmm. right. You don't need to recompile the app. Oh, that's wonderful. If only we actually use those strings. But you know, okay, I get that. <laughs> um, where you we got the huge reaction authentication. 
We got down the authentication sh- section, and sure enough, because the developers have built them themselves, form-based authentication. And they're like, so what does that mean? Right. Well, that kind of means we're storing the usernames and passwords in SQL Server, and then the tears flow. Right. 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 And then we have, a, but you have actually a constructive conversation about, well, here's where we're storing our user profiles, and here's our security policy around those things, and how do we make the app work that way? Because you clearly got a chunk here that lets you work on it in a way that makes us sad. Now, how do we make it work the way that's okay? Right. And it just became a great set of talking points for bringing those two teams together. Mm. I like that you brought up web config because mm-hmm. there's something that um, I don't think everyone's really truly conceptualized yet. In iOS 7 and above, iOS has started storing site-specific settings in the web config file. Right. So if I go in and change, uh, we, today in my, my, my demonstration, we looked at failed request tracing, FRTs. Mm-hmm. By default, that gets stored in the web config file. Uh, but let's, let's use a, another example where it actually affects functionality. Let's say you have a custom default page. Mm-hmm. So you, you set up, you, know, you deploy the site, you go in there and you change it in the GUI, and then it shoves it in the web config file. Well, your developer now deploys a new version of the site. Well, source control does not have that web config, does not have that entry in the web config file. Right. You deploy it, breaks the site. Yep. And so, you know, who owns the web config file now? Is that the developers mm. or is that the IT guys? I think mm. the moment a site goes into operation, web config needs to be owned oh. by ops. So you're assuming that ops is going to own the application, the operational part of the application, which is true in mature companies, Wait but a minute it's now. not... It, isn't web config first configured by the developer and isn't that deployed along with the site? Yes. So, so, so when they deployed the site, the web config should have gone along with it. Yes. And then when you, conf- when you change a setting in IIS, it ah. stores it in web config. Right. So the change d- was done by ops. Mm-hmm. In, so it, in the, IIS. So let, let's go saying. back to this concept of who owns, who, who manages the application. Right. So yes, in mature organizations, IT, you know, development writes an app, it goes to QA, QA signs off on it, it gets handed to IT, IT runs operations, the system guys take it all from there. And so, so you're but, saying and, the ops guys in this scenario that you painted, the ops yes. guys change the default page. Well, After there's a bunch deployed. of settings. There's a bunch of IIS settings. That's where the problem is, is yes. what you're saying. So they change it and they don't realize it's being stored in web config. Yeah. You get a new version of the site, it overwrites web config. Those okay. settings that so were set So clearly there has to be some communication. There has to be communication. Ops and there, there's the keyword right there. Yeah. Yep. Crazy talk. Yeah. You're going to have to communicate. <laughs> yeah, this but, but we built this nice wall. Why would we need to speak across it? <laughs> but can we put in a telephone? <laughs> <laughs> don't IM me. Yeah. So, but back to the concept of who owns the web config file. So in younger organizations, closer to startup, the mature organization, mm-hmm. the, a lot of times it's the systems guys run the system. The handoff is not, you know, it goes to QA and then the app gets handed to systems. It's systems guys put up the systems and then the apps guys manage the apps. Right. That's very, you know, it's very popular, especially in Silicon Valley where there's much younger, you know, technology companies. Yep. Mm. So Still sort of that no ops so model. The who, guy who built it is the guy who runs it. Well, maybe no ops or limited ops mm-hmm. or... You know, it's just where that line is, is is lower than where it might be in a Fortune 500 company. Sure. But the point is, you got to figure that stuff out. Who owns web config? A lot of the time, in a lot of organizations, uh, especially mid-sized to smaller, it's it's really both. Mm-hmm. They That's both right. own it. And you, you got to work together on that. Machine config, yeah. it's always ITs. Don't <laughs> touch machine config. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't and mess with and it. IT won't touch it either, though. So right, right. we hate machine config. Yeah. My, my number one feature request in .NET 5, no machine config. Right, make it go away. But how will we synchronize the key so that view state will travel between the servers? <laughs> oh, why? Why do I know this? Because I beat myself silly trying to make that work. <laughs> hey, Richard, guess what time it is? It must be that happy time again. That's right. It's time to give away a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection to a lucky winner. Uh, a lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And who is And it? you are all members of the .NET Rocks fan club, right? <laughs> we have thousands of members and we give away a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection. And every show, today's winner is Christopher K. Burns. Give it up for Christopher. <laughs> no golf claps here. No golf claps here. This is the real cheering deal. So if you don't know what we're talking about, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, sign up. 
We have thousands of members, and every every show we give away stuff. And every December, we're going to be giving away five thousand dollars worth of technology, mm-hmm. toy uh, toys or, or gadgets. We've gadgets. got a couple of plans, but let's couple find out what Steve thinks. So, Steve, if I gave you a five thousand dollar check today to have any kind of toys that you want, I'll take the cash. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I, I've been thinking about this because I knew this question was coming. Ah, good. Uh, so two. Th- I have two major thoughts, and it's not 5,000 total, but, you know, you can work it in. The first one is a really nice desk. Yeah, The the ones that rise, you know, the ones that can do the standing and sit back down, desk and a nice chair. Yeah. I think, uh, you know. So, you don't have a nice desk is what you're saying. I do now. But I'm saying, just recently, I had the, like, college hand-me-down desk until, like, two weeks ago. Wow. That's what happens when your girlfriend moves in. You have to Uh, get rid of that kind of stuff. Yeah, the junk furniture has to go. And and now now you're appreciating that a good desk does something. But you still have that pair of shoes from 1984, (laughs) right? (laughs) Before she'd move in, she said, you're going to be getting rid of that. (laughs) Um, And then the second thing was, Welcome to, these are my eight cats. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, we we stopped by and you got a Surface today. And and I was thinking about, you know, so there's the iPad, there's the iPad mini, there's the Droid devices, there's a Kindle. Mm. And I think... Any, you know, if you're going to be doing mobile development or, or tablet development, you kind of need one of each. Yep. yep. So I think you guys should in this package a suite have of everything. A suite of tablets. Wow, you could call them like an Icinium pack, right? That's right. not a bad idea. A big a big USB hub and one of every yep. device. Wow, now that's Talk, a pack. You guys like that idea? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Switch up the roles. That was clearly Dev showing op something that has significant influence over how the app works and how it works within the infrastructure and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, where I've seen dev guys' eyes bug out was in that IQ test going the other way, ops brings in the network diagram and they walk through exactly the path mm-hmm. of a request from the browser to all the way typically to the database and back again. Because Developers have this terrible habit of consolidating, you know, there's a browser, there's internet, there's a web server, and there's a database, yeah. which has consolidated the ops guy's entire job to the line <laughs> between the web server and the internet. Yeah. No wonder right. they're grumpy. And when you actually see the, we have a firewall, we have load balancers, we have failover pieces, we have VPN connections, we have authentication servers. Redundant servers. Over here. Yeah. We have a backup path to a, a secondary data site, like. It once you walk through all of that and developers actually start to grasp it, they're like, holy cow, we have to build our app differently if we were actually to utilize this stuff properly. Uh, in state, in, in process session state. Oh. Yeah. So well, the number of reasons starts, you should usually. not use in process session state, I could, I don't have enough hands and toes between right. the entire. Well, there's only one reason that you would ever use it, and that's you have one box and you never. I, I will make the argument that that's still not the right decision. Because then you're storing your, and Richard can chime in if you disagree. You're now storing session state data in, in process, which means application pool. Anything goes wrong with, anything goes wrong with the site, the very first thing, well, before even me, IIS will happily recycle your application fact, pool. Whenever, by default. Whenever it does, well, by default it does it every, depends on the version, either 25 or 29 hours. Right. It's a very happy name for what it actually does, isn't it? Recycle. It recycles. Yes. No, it, so it does. The reason it, developers shudder at the idea of recycling the application pool is because you've got your session state session data goes in away. there. Yeah. Store your session state data out of process from day one. Mm-hmm. It's going to save you a bunch of memory in your application pool, assuming you, you put anything significant in there. Mm-hmm. And it's going to allow me, whenever anything goes wrong, the very first thing I'm going to do is recycle the application pool. Mm-hmm. So you might as well just get that session state out of there and not have to stress about when the application pool is going to recycle. Fair enough. And the number one question I get is, oh, instead of the default of 25 or 29 hours for app pool recycle, should I configure it to like 3 a.m.? Like, well, you know, so first of all, 3 a.m. may be a busy time for you. You don't know. Right. But, but second of all, 3 a.m., 3 p.m., who cares? Just get the session state out of process. And you don't care And just anymore. recycle it every five minutes for all I care. You know, I, 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 mean, I told That's you extreme, this, but... I never told you this story, but I at a tech ed talk, talking through some IIS things, and I pointed out, yes, the worker process automatically recycles every 25 hours. Why is 25 hours? I don't know. Whoever did that was stupid. You never, ever say that at tech ed. 
the guy who set that default at the back of the room. Ah. It's, a great, <laughs> it's a great setting. It is a great setting. And he came up afterwards and explained it to me. And his explanation... Was is, he upset, though? No. Was he like, hey, you call me stupid. I, you call me yeah. stupid. Is that where he got the black eye from? <laughs> Don't call me stupid. But his point was... He decreased PSS costs. Yep. So tech support costs go, went down when he said it at 25 hours because as soon as you file a report with Microsoft saying, hey, every day an hour later my website goes insane, they know right away, boom, it's uh, the, you've got the default setting for, for work. It's even better than that. So much easier to Google now. I'm sorry, Bing it now. Or I'm sorry, DuckDuckGo <laughs> Bing it with Google.com. <laughs> it's, you know, you can easily find, you can start doing some some. Um, web searches, right? We'll anonymize it. Nice. And, and you, you'll highly likely run across that, this concept of, oh, it's the default's 25 hours. Right. Whereas if it was every 24 hours, it falls you don't into even have PSS hours. because yeah. of right. that, that default. So I think it was 29 in iOS 6. Yeah. Although I, one of the most 29, I can't keep track of them. It really all. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But it is, it, the other thing is this sort of appreciation that defaults aren't optimal solutions for the system running. They're optimal solutions for managing the cost of taking care of systems. You've got to go in and own all those settings yourself. I'd say it's either that or it's the, the setting that's least likely to be to painful by the default. Right. SQL is a great example. SQL's got a bunch of defaults that and, and, you know, hardcore SQL guys will disagree with some of them. But generally speaking, SQL by default is good. Yeah, good enough. And under normal load, under normal scenario, under 99% of the workloads out there, it's going to be fine. Mm -hmm. um, as evil as autogrow is. Right. But 99% of the time, autogrow doesn't actually hurt anyone. No. But that 1% of the time, Boy, you, know, you, you, bring in, you bring in the experts and they can, they can tweak that thing into perfection. Mm -hmm. um, IIS is the same way. Out of the box, um, ASP.NET, in-process in sessions, out of the box, it gets up, it gets running. You're, gonna, you know, you're not going to hate yourself. Mm -hmm. But once, you know, once you're successful, you're going to start hating yourself. And you've got you to plan ahead for that stuff. And go through the pain of getting yourself right. back out of process. So preferably you figure that out before you get too successful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's very easy to just run the state service on this, even on the same box, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, yep. just one command line, one web config, and you're yep. done. Yeah, exactly. It's, 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 it's one entry in your web config. However, file. now you have to you you make have to make sure all that data is serializable. Yes, and mm -hmm. and that's why that's why I highly you know a lot of people are like, oh, we'll do in process and development, mm -hmm. and then when we go to production, we'll go out of process. Right. But anything you put. And out of process, any, anything that goes in the session statements out of process has to be serializable. Right. So you might as well just do it on day one in development. Mm -hmm. Right. So that way you never accidentally put something in session state that's not serializable. That's right. Because when it's time to move over, then you don't have to go through that pain right of figuring time. out how yeah. to serialize What's it. broken. Yeah. The other thing is I think you need to constantly pay the price of serialization. It's what will keep your, your uh, session object under control. Is that when the, the most expensive part about being out of process is the serialization piece. And so if you're stuffing a data table with a, with, 30 megs of data in it in, and you serialize it every time, you're going to know right away. <laughs> it's like, all of a sudden, this page just stopped. <laughs> also, I would look for some alternative formatters than the, the, the stuff that comes in .NET. Um, I did some benchmark testing with this a few years ago and found that there's much faster ways to serialize than, than uh, the stuff that's in the box right. in .NET. Like, well, even just doing it yourself. And, and I did a manual serializer um, for XML that it was just like Because Microsoft ridiculous. has to write for all cases, right? That's right. You know what your data looks like. You mm -hmm. can build a specialized serializer that could be fast. And there's a lot Jumping of Jumping to the conclusion that you know your data, but yes. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot there's of a lot of statements there that are important <laughs> that you could actually know how to build a serializer and you know what your data is going to look like and ultimately that makes you responsible for breaking it. I don't expect people to write their own serializers, but there's certainly other ones out there that benchmark for benchmark will well, I'll run, run will totally run rings around the stuff mm -hmm. that's in the box. So what about instrumentation? Like, you know, the stuff you showed earlier today, which was great stuff, and log parser and so forth, they're all post-facto instrumentation. Yes. They're looking after there's a, you know enough to know that you need to look. Yes. What about production-level instrumentation? Yeah. Like running in the wild. So by contrast, the presentation you did was all around TFS and, mm -hmm. and integration with the SCOM and all that. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of the opposite end of that spectrum. It's like... Uh, so out of, you know, we have, I don't know, what do we say, 40 people here? Mm -hmm. About 50. 50. Let's say 60. Just make it sound. Sure, <laughs> why not? <laughs> uh, 10,000 oh, right, people, people here. We forgot about the overflow room. Yes. 
These are just the people that made it through security. Right. So <laughs> I would say That's not actually. So out of, let's inaccurate. just for round numbers, fifty people here. One of their organizations may be able to implement TFS and SCOM and all that great auto magical unicorn tier stuff. Yeah. In the next five years, it's not trivial things to put right. together. It's way, way. It's really high up there on the spectrum. And it and it's pricey. And it's there's pricey. a fair bit of money involved there, and a fair bit of skill. Yes, yes. Well, unless you're going the preemptive route, then it's actually fairly affordable and easy for the developer to do. Mm. There are other tools, right? Like they, yeah. that's yes. the reason I showed preemptive as part of that equation is here's something that comes in the box in studio, although it is only the community edition, but it will do some of the things no. you need. So I just did a big monitoring project, which is really what you know, instrumentation monitoring. It's kind yeah. of in the same same um, arena, and, and we made a very conscious decision that on for phase one. The only thing we're going to focus on is things we want to get wake, woken up for in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. So don't, fo- you know, if your site's a little slower than normal, don't raise don't raise alarm bells over right. that. Raise alarm bells over, oh, it's so slow it never responded. Right, it's so down. Start, it's not start at a very high bar and, and lower it or right. lower low bar and raise it however you want to do yeah, the analysis. So you start with, there's a smoking hole in the ground where the data center used to be. <laughs> yes. And, and, <laughs> you, and you work your way up from there. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. Uh, if you start off on day one of, oh, I want to know when CPU is over 75%. Like, you, know. you will quickly just turn the thing off yeah, and run away. I want to know what the blast radius is. That's right, what exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, start there. Um, one of the things you didn't you didn't cover, um, I know SCOM can do it. I, I'm a big SolarWinds fan, okay. uh, which is a, a, a third-party monitoring tool. I'm a huge fan of synthetic transactions. So, it's a lot of fun to sit here and say, oh, is this service running? Mm-hmm. Is, this, um, is this web server responding to the status page with a 200? Right. That's that's all good stuff. A synthetic transaction meaning uh, I record a web transaction. I you know I have a, a browser. I hit the record button. You know a special browser. I hit the record button. I do the steps I want to do. Mm. Um, so maybe that's I I just log into my site or I log in. And I pull up a report right. and I verify that after I pull up my report, I see the my company name at the top of the thing. Mm-hmm. And then hitting stop and then feeding that to SolarWinds has this with a lot of products that do these these uh, synthetic transactions. Right. At the end of the day, I don't care if the status page returns healthy. I don't care if the service is running. I don't care if the server's on. Right. The only thing I care about is does my user get the experience they're supposed to have? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, now, obviously, we want to monitor are the servers online? Mm-hmm. Can I, does my status page return healthy and all that? Mm-hmm. But really, the really important thing is does the user get the experience they're supposed to get? And the nice thing about that is it's really easy to set this stuff up. It's really hard to set up all the intricate exact details of what are all the things I need to monitor to make sure my service, the service I'm providing is healthy. And and that's got more to do, I mean, all those status pages are more about the diagnostic part of what's broken, not are we working. Yeah, or it's missing stuff. Yeah. There's something that's broken and the status page doesn't, doesn't actually don't, show. You don't think like, oh, right, we should have checked that. Yeah. Well, yeah. you'll find that out eventually. That'll be the thing they'll break. <laughs> exactly. So, so actually exercising the plumbing is what you're talking about. Go run a transaction end to end. When I used to run mail servers, I wrote up, you know, I, I did all this stuff. Oh, we're going to watch this. We're going to watch this. And I kept missing things. Mm-hmm. So then I wrote a script that sent an email from the internal mail server to a externally hosted mail, mail account. That mail account, all it did was respond. And so it sent an email back to where it came from. Right. You're and testing the whole system. Every five with minutes, one, I just check that I received an email. You're mm-hmm. testing and the whole system with exactly. one simple test. So it doesn't matter which part of the system broke down, whether it's the data center's a, a crater now, yep. or uh, a mailbox server ran out of space. Mm-hmm. I've tested the entire process end to end. And it starts with I need to know that there's a problem. We'll figure out what the problem is later. I just need to know yeah. there is one. Right. So imagine so I'm now a- you still have that problem, which is what is the real problem after you find out that there is one. Right. Yeah. So the question is, how do I figure out what the real problem yeah. is? Now? And that's, you know, so that's a huge depend. It, it, it depends. Sure. Not the, not the company. It depends. Right. It exactly. Easy. Once, once, okay, now that the email did not come through, how do you go about diagnosing the, the problem? It, you can turn switches on for logging and things at different points that are already in place or so and obviously it depends on the it depends on your specific scenario um hopefully you've got really good monitoring of you know is this status page healthy you know this right. standard stuff if so you know you start there then you just start narrowing down the problem you know uh so let's say it's a it's a standard uh you know web server database server you know 
is my SQL server healthy? Can I can I run a query? Can I run a query and get it back in a reasonable amount of time? Sure. If so, uh, you know, go to the web server. Uh, Do a recycle the app pool. Just yeah. start there. Recycle the app pool. Look it's at the disturbing how many things are fixed by rebooting the machine. Yeah. Well, in Windows ninety eight, you rebooted it and it fixed itself, right? Yeah. So Windows ninety eight and the the website you just started working on this year have about the same amount of development time in them, right? <laughs> so it makes perfect. Your your site is an infant. It doesn't. It hasn't gone through the rigorous QA process that Windows Server twenty twelve has. Mm-hmm. It hasn't had twenty years of development behind it. Of course, recycling it, rebooting it is essentially what you're doing is going to fix a ton of problems. And I don't know if you should be embarrassed by that. Well, the Obviously, Microsoft thinks so well of that. They do it automatically for you uh, roughly every day. Well, or if IIS ever thinks anything's wrong. Yes. I've always described IIS is mom and mom is watching you. And sometimes it's time for you to get out of the pool. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, out of the pool. That's great. (laughs) And and not great at the same time. (laughs) Everybody out. And it's not that rude either, right? It's not. It actually stands up a separate pool first. So yeah, it gets so, it all prepared and and then you know shuffles the connections across. It's not like it kills. Yeah, it. yeah. So the way it works is it brings up. So you have your worker process. Yep. It brings up an additional one. Any new requests requests go to that. It gives the old anything running on that old request ninety seconds to complete, and then it kills it off. Right. So in theory, your user has no idea it ever happened. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have anything stuck in that old pool that can't move into the new pool like in process session you can't tell it ever happened it's right completely exactly. transparent yeah and if you have a request that was taking longer than 90 seconds so it got killed off it, there wasn't a user waiting for that on the no, other side they anyways. were already gone yeah, yeah game was already over they headed to ebay by now right mm. yeah <laughs> surfing the web yeah you ever try to surf the web on your phone it's a little small Especially when you're looking at a big list like the new feature list for Active Report 6. Oh, yeah? Yeah, we've been using it for 15 years. You know, the coolest new feature, I think, is the new Silverlight Report Viewer. What's cool about it, of course, is it's both native Silverlight for printing, but it's also got PDF support. So that really minimizes the amount of data that has to come over the wire. Makes it a lot more efficient. Well, we've been looking for a good solution for Silverlight data viewing. Yeah, it's a great product. I I think I'm going to order it. Not on that. No, not on here. I'll go to my desk first. Active reports from Component One. Smarter components for smarter developers. So SolarWinds doing the end-to-end transactions, I, I like that approach. I mean, it's 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 one particular technique. But uh, and again, let's not cut up on SolarWinds. I mean, there's no, tons of products. There's that lots do of products that, that work in that particular space. Yeah. Just monitoring in general, you know, being able to see what's running and what isn't, and, and uh, but when you start to get into the hard diagnostics, do you, do you have you gone down as far as stuff like IntelliTrace? Uh, I've gone as far as debug diag. Yeah. Which is a Which memory is cool. dump of your, you know, the relevant processes, mm-hmm. and then analyzing those processes. Sometimes it comes back and it says it was method X doing Y, mm-hmm. and sometimes it says, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff going on. Yeah, and, you know, and you go from there, and and you just ru- and you run that against the production server. Yeah, well, so if you can reproduce it in a non-production environment, that's awesome, right? Uh, usually when you get to the point of, I need to run memory, you know, I've got to do a memory dump to figure out what's going on. You're, it means you can't reproduce it. Right. So, uh, and cause debug diag pins the machine to the wall while it's doing its thing. Yeah. So ideally the way it works is you have a, uh, you're in a web farm scenario. Mm-hmm. Your load balancer will be doing the health check. The health check will fail Yep. and it will stop sending new traffic to it anyways. And, and so you only affect a few people, but. Yeah, it, debug diag is going to completely pin the machine. Well, that yeah, we get back to the whole dependency on you know, just having a load balancer. Like you're already pretty far down the path if you actually. I mean, how many folks here have a load balancer in their lives? Like, know what I'm talking about here? So maybe a dozen hands, fifteen hands uh, out of out of fifty. So for those of you who don't, why don't you? <laughs> no, it's a serious question. There's a lot of very valid reasons, but anyone like why? Why are you running a website on a single node? Well, I would think because you can. No traffic. It's cost effective, right? Yeah, I think that's probably the most common one. Yeah. Is the site's just not important enough for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, when you get back to the bigger thing here, which is that most people get the load balancer for the first time, not for speed, but for reliability. Uh, absolutely. I want another web server in the world that will also run that site if one of them takes a, the other one takes a header. Right. But back to, you know, debug diag is going to really 
text the text the box. Yeah. Well, if it if it's not important enough to be in a web farm, which in the world of virtualization and all that, it's you know it's it's not that expensive to mm-hmm. do load balancing. Mm. Uh, you know, running debug dialog and hanging the site up for thirty seconds to a minute is probably not a big deal either. Right. So. You know, it's it's always a trade-off. Yeah. It's just a question of whether you did it or it's a residual of something else happening. Like, we're consciously nailing this machine. True, well. true. Yeah. But, yeah, at the same time, you could pull a server out of the pool. There's, there's lots of choices yeah. there. So, if I could just take a totally flying stab at this. Hmm. What, uh, if, if you had to pick one thing that uh, was probably the most important thing that a developer needs to know that most don't about IT? How name resolution works. Really? Absolutely. If you don't know how name resolution works, you're you're struggling with everything else. Um, just understanding. If I can't get to my website, yeah. And you know, the first thing to check is right when I type in mysite.com, do I end up at the right IP address? Right. And then understanding, okay, I'm going to migrate my site from this IP address to this IP address, and understanding how caching works and all that, and and how I can leverage that to to get to the next, uh, over to the to the right server. I guess I just take it for granted because I've always lived with DNS, always, you know, and and always known. Ever since I've been on the internet, I've understood all that stuff. So I do this. I do a session at Code Camps, user groups uh, on Plural Site called Networking for Developers. I haven't figured out how to do it yet for IT people, but it would be the exact same content. Well, that's the stuff that we were talking about. We did a DNR TV on yes, that. Yeah, yes, it was great. Several years ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, I ask for developers. I, I start at how do you create a site? How you how you do binding so you can host multiple sites on the same box? Right. I do the exact same talk at IT conferences. I just change the title. Very little <laughs> That's change. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, networking for developers, I'd say 70% of systems guys would learn something in the exact same content. It's just I haven't figured out how to do it and get people to show up to All right. Me. I got a really geeky question for you. Subnet mask. All this is geeky. <laughs> Subnet mask. Yes. Why do I care? You don't. And, and what is that all about? Anyway. So here's here's what you care about. A subnet mask just defines what part of your IP address is for your subnet and which part is your specific host. And your subnet is? So your subnet is the the machines that can talk to each other without going through a router. Okay. A router connects subnets. Right. I really need a whiteboard for this. So like an, a, a, a NAT group that's behind a NAT router is uh, a sort of a y- subnet. Yeah. So NAT's kind of different. NAT converts public IP addresses address into private IP addresses. Mm-hmm. Correct. Right. Network address translation. It's an IPv4 thing. It goes away in IPv6. Like right. It. So does most n- subnetting when in, you're at it. In 2100. No, no. Subnetting is still there in IPv6. You still have subnets and you got to route between different subnets. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's the only thing that's the only reason you care about subnet masks. All right. This concept of there's a group of computers that can talk to each other directly, and if they can't talk to each other directly, they go to their default gateway or their default route, which is a router, mm-hmm. and it routes traffic to other subnets. And that's true whether it's I'm talking from computers in this room to that room, or it's whether I'm talking to computers in this room to India. And it really only used to be an issue if you ever had to go in, which we used to do all the time, and manually enter IP addresses into your, you know, into your Windows box because right. for some reason, maybe it's usually because of diagnostic purposes now. And so even then, if you're, if you're going in and type, you know, you're doing static addressing, which, which yeah. is still common in servers, yeah. um, realistically, you as a developer aren't going to be architecting network designs. Right. You're going to be getting told, here's your IP information yeah. to configure Including on the Including the subnet. Yeah. Yeah. Subnet my, mask. Subnet mask, right? And my right. question is always, the hell is this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I understand how subnet masking works. Basically, so it's like, two, usually it's 255.255.255.0. Zero, right. That means there's uh, 16 bits that are on of 24 bits. It's right. binary. Right. Um, so you can, you know, you, you can, you can, I understand how it works. It's very, I can't explain it. I don't know well enough. Get Ed Horley on the show. He's, <laughs> he's a network geek. That's no, 24, I think you've, 24 bits on of 32. Yeah, I'm, so, I'm bad at math. Okay. Remember, I, did, I can't even divide That's by, right. I, I don't even realize you can't divide by zero. <laughs> <laughs> the people on the radio are going to be like, what, what's he what? talking about? Oh, right. Can't divide by zero. So one last thing before we close. So yes. I brought gifts for everyone. Really? Really? So I'm going to start with you guys because you guys get something different than them. So recently I've started listening to, I've listened, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, and, but you guys are the only po- tech podcast I listen to. Oh. .NET Rocks and Runners Radio. And I started recently listening to some other tech podcasts. 
And I realized how good your guys' show is. Oh, oh that's so, great. That's uh, nice. Like editing, for example. Yes. yes. So, editing I, I got good. you guys a gift. And you guys are doing this big road show. And, and so, this is from the entire community. Oh, geez. It's, oh, geez. Uh, it's a bottle of scotch. And I, I'm not even sure how to pronounce it. So, you'll have to help me there. It's Bal- the Balvini. Yeah. Balvini. And this is the 15-year, which is, means you didn't buy the cheapest Balvini they make. I no. wanted to get you something that was at least 18 years old, so it'd be old enough to drink itself, but <laughs> <laughs> that didn't work out. That didn't work uh, out. It's a very nice scotch. comes from the space side. I've toured this distillery. So, so I, I'm, not, I'm not really a scotch guy. Last night at dinner... I asked something about scotch and Richard went on for about, I'd say, 45 minutes explaining yeah, in intricate detail what scotch is. So, I got a little nervous that's about giving That's the next geek this. out show, I swear. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so, hopefully, it's, it's an acceptable scotch. That is and a they wonderful do all the right scotch. processes and It's stuff. a lovely scotch. Yeah. So, that's, that's from everyone that listens to. Well, thank you. And, and then back, back to, we were talking about Pluralsight. So, this is for everyone here in the audience. Uh, I have a big stack of Pluralsight one-week trial cards. So, uh, if anyone's inter- you know, everyone who's interested, uh, after the show, you can come up and grab one. Um, it's for one week. So, my suggestion, plan accordingly, uh, you know, for a long holiday weekend or whatever makes sense for you. And, um, you know, so Pluralsight, it's like 30 bucks a month, I think is the best investment you can make in your career. Absolutely. But, but uh, so here you go. Plur- uh, I got like 200 of them here. So I think I'll have enough for everyone here in the room. Yes, you will. Thank you, Steve. Let's give him a big hand, Steve Evans. Hey, we'll see you next time on Donnet Rock. Thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 free minutes of developer training online. Pluralsight.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Plop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a